I got to tell you, thank you, first of all, Pastor Richard, for this opportunity. Um, when we were worshiping and just listening to what God was trying to do and say, my blood was pumping. I don't know if it was the change of the hour, the extra cup of coffee I had this morning, or just the Spirit of God. And see, we can come in our own way, but if we engage what God is doing, whether it be a song, and those songs are great, Rachel, and worship team. When we engage, God just makes your, your heart pump. Not because we want a feeling, but we know something is going to happen. We're going to do some binding, and we're going to do some loosing this morning. I didn't say me. I said we. We. Amen? Amen. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 8. We're just going to read uh, verses 14 through 21. We've been going through the discipleship, becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. We're on number 7, which is supervision. And Mark chapter 8 talks about the question that Jesus asked his disciples, do you not yet perceive? It's a wonderful word we're going to look at. So we, we started, uh, I think it was somewhere in the early January, we started with selection, we started with association, we started with consecration, impartation, demonstration, last week was delegation, and we're looking at the aspect of supervision of what Jesus is. Perceive. Well, actually, let's read these verses. 14 through 21. And actually, the heading of my section says, the disciples do not understand. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we have no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand, you do not perceive? Perceive is to come to a realization or to come to realize, to come to understand. It's to discern. It's to recognize. It's to grasp. It's to comprehend. And boy, we need a lot of that going on today. There's so much misunderstanding, lack of comprehension, Lack of realization. The opposite of mistake. Or in the disciples' case, misinterpret. Oh, there's a lot of misinterpreting going on today. The disciples, they totally dis I'm sorry, misinterpreted Jesus' reference about the Pharisees and about Herod. See, they heard the word yeast. Anybody bake bread? Right? If you don't and you buy it, they got to make it with yeast, right? They heard yeast, so they assumed he was referring to the shortage of bread. <laughs> Do 
I have to go on the aspect of assumptions? I don't think we're going to go down that road. They were lacking in a spiritual understanding. Listen, it's bad enough when you lack understanding, but when we lack spiritual understanding, we don't have a shot. They were lacking in what spiritual understanding they need to see and to hear what Jesus really was talking and saying. Jesus rebuked them. He didn't rebuke them because they failed to grasp or perceive the meaning of his warning, beware of the Pharisees and, the, and Herod. He rebuked them because they failed to understand the meaning of his presence with them. How often do we fail to misunderstand or not to perceive Jesus is in our midst? Wasn't it said of Jacob, the presence of God was there and he didn't know it? God had to give him a little socket check and then he remembered. He, they failed to understand he was in their presence. And listen, their hearts, they were not the perceptive to what, what their eyes had just seen. See, their eyes, and we're guilty of the same. Our eyes see, but we really don't see. Our eyes, our ears hear, but we really don't hear. Hmm. Their memories were very short-lived. They had just experienced, in Mark chapter 6, the feeding of 5,000. 5,000, that's just a short number. You know, when we take attendance in the crowd, I say, just make sure you leave room for coming and goings of people. So it's not what you think it is. Just You've got to make sure it's a plus or minus three or four or five. There was more than a plus or minus three or four or five. We're talking about men, women, and children. They had just seen the miraculous thing. And now in Mark chapter 8, they were seeing four more thousand being fed. They had short-term memory. They failed to comprehend what they had just both seen and heard. They did not discern who Jesus really was. And they were walking with him all this time. They did not understand the purpose or the goal of Jesus' words and his works. And his words and his works, they were but basically to evangelize the world, which he started and which they were going to take up and which you and I continue. You may be asking, so how does that lead us or deal with supervision? Well, let's just do this. Let's go on to the next part. The method that Jesus used. Listen, before we even realize anything, in the book that we've been reading, we've been realizing that Jesus didn't have a method. He is. No flip charts, no how-tos, you know, those self-help things, how to do this in three easy steps. He was the easy step. He was the flip chart, if you will. He was the method. He used simple things like he displayed it by his example. I happened to tell uh, our, our uh, class, our uh, life group, I think it was last week, um, in reference to training somebody. For a while, when somebody would train with me, they would do nothing except watch for at least the first week. They would watch. Jesus let his disciples watch what he did. 
so that they learn. Then he would give them an assignment. We're going to talk about those in a couple of minutes. He gave them an assignment, not for homework, but for life work. And then there was some follow-up. Jesus always had follow-up in one way or another. Jesus was the ultimate example. His questions, his illustrations, his warnings, his admonitions, they were very calculated. They brought out those things that needed to be done to fulfill his work. He wasn't talking about leaving a family business, if you will, but he was talking about God's business that he was going to entrust to 12 and then more and more. The aspect of assignment. When he sent out the 12 in Mark uh, chapter 6, and when he sent out the 70 in Luke chapter 10, they always came back together to share their experiences. Don't we have times of testimony? You know, we, they'll go downtown or we'll go to a missions trip or we'll do something. We'll have an outreach in the, in the parking lot. Don't we always have a time of, of, of what happened? Of encouraging people and not just encouraging. But listen, he brought, it, it was to always get together to share. The experiences are different, aren't they? Um, I don't know, 150 people in this congregation right now? If we were all to look at a specific event that occurred at the corner, I bet you we would have 150 different perspectives. And we would all say, hey, you're wrong. Where you been? Because we all have different perspectives. They, they, he needed to come together and share, hey, what did you experience on that trip? You ever sit down and you, you, know, you go on a nicer trip? Well, did I miss something? Where, where did that happen? Because we have different experiences. He would bring out practical, listen, applications to their lives from things they just had experienced. If, if we want God to talk to us, it's like we want this booming voice out of somewhere. God is showing us these applications in our everyday life that somehow we seem to miss because maybe we're not dialed in. Those practical applications. Example, when they could not heal the afflicted boy in Mark chapter 9, he instructed them, he reminded them on the spiritual basics. This one can, can only come out by prayer and fasting. Sorry, I moved away from the camera, Pastor Mike. This one can come out only by prayer and fasting. What a lesson. Another example, when they missed, we talked about it earlier, the importance of the feeding of the multitude, Jesus taught them, taught them another valuable lesson, spiritual discernment. Only then did they vividly remember, listen, I, I've read this passage so many times, but when I read it, and I, it kind of hit me a little bit. How many baskets did they have left over when the 5,000 were fed? Anybody? Twelve. How many, did, how many apostles are there? Oh, they all had a basket. It never occurred to me. They all had a basket as a reminder. Didn't I tell you I would take care of business? Jesus said when they were complaining, they were murmuring, they were confused about what do we do, he himself knew what he was going to do. I'm going to give you a basket of leftovers. Good ones, good leftovers. The aspect of follow-up. Jesus constantly followed up with his disciples, especially towards the end of his earthly ministry. Isn't that what we do when we're getting a little older in life? We want to reconnect. 
with, with our family friend members to, to, to impart to them some very important things because who knows how much longer we might have. He would not let them rest. Listen, this is important. He would not let them rest in their success. Nor would he let them wallow in their failure. He was always supervising and instructing them. Let me go on to the next one. Example. He would rejoice with them when they had success. He asked them, what happened? And they told him. And he said, I saw the devil get pushed back out of the way he belongs. But he would temper their success. And he would also warn them not to get stuck on the pride of their accomplishments. We settle too much in our accomplishments. And we forgot where we came from. And we forget where we're going. Because then we get stuck there and we stay there. It's a great place to stay. Who doesn't want to stay in success 24-7? But he would remind them, don't get stuck in that pride of accomplishments. He reminded them, more importantly than their accomplishments, was that their names were written in heaven. Listen, if you don't become a big anything in this world, your name is already written in heaven. That is the biggest thing you can possibly have. This world pales in comparison to what it can offer to what Christ has already prepared for us. Not just a promise, but a fulfillment of the promise. If they failed, it gave them a greater awareness of their deficiencies. And listen, we live in this world that says we can do everything and anything. But what happens when you don't succeed? And that phrase just ends there. It made the disciples realize how deficient they really were, and it gave them a greater realization of how dependent they were on Christ. Without me, Jesus said, we can do nada, zero, nothing. Let's call it like it is. After all, didn't Jesus tell his disciples that he would be with them until the end? When he gave them the great commission, not just to go do some perfunctory act and just, no, I'm with you until the end. I'm with you in the good. I'm with you in the bad. I'm with you when you succeed. I'm with you when you fail. I'm with you when you're happy. I'm with you when you're sad. I'm with you when life is good to you. And I'm with you when life throws you a curveball. And some of us can't hit the curveballs. Jesus said that. I'm always with you until the end. And then listen, if that's not enough, when we get to heaven, we're going to be with him forever. That's even better than him being here with us forever. So he was helping them along. Now, the next, the next section I entitled Supervision 101. You know, we've all been to some class, you know, when you're, you, you take the preliminary class to go to the next one. 101 is usually the lowest one that there is. Supervision 101, Jesus embodied supervision. We've all had, we can all, we won't talk about it now, but we've had some supervisors that are not so great, right? Some of them are really good. But he embodied supervision. He always kept them going forward toward the goal he, he, he had set for them. We have goals and aspirations, but Jesus has better goals and aspirations for us. 
okay? If we would move off away from our goal and realize what goal he has for us, man, what a road we would pave. He always kept them going forward toward the goal he had set. You know why? He did the same for himself. He set himself before what he knew it was, the cross. He was going to it no matter what. It's like a problem happening somewhere. People run out of the place. First responders, they run to the problem. We are supposed to be first responders in a spiritual sense. He did not expect, nor did he require them, listen, to do what he hadn't already done. Some supervisors forget that they're supposed to set a good example. He wasn't requiring them to do something he hadn't done or shown to them. He didn't expect more than they could do. A five-year-old can't do what a 15-year-old can do. Nor would we want to put that heavy burden on them, would we? But at times, it feels like that. He wouldn't, did not expect them to do more than they could do. He did, however, he expected them to do their best. If you have kid, children, don't expect them to do what they can't, but encourage them to do their best. If an A is their best, don't let them slack off. If a C is their best, that's their best. Encourage them to do better next time. He encouraged them to do their best. And the example is when he sent out the 12, they came back. They didn't have the greatest report in the world. But when he sent out the 70, all of a sudden there was great reports. Maybe they gained a little knowledge and a little experience and a little dose of the spirit, if you will. And they realized we, we had some success. He encouraged them to do their best. Listen, he did expect them to do their best, and he did expect them always to improve as they grew in the knowledge and in grace. Imagine being, I don't know, pick a profession, but you just decide, I'm good. I'm just going to cruise. And then the new technology and things come around, and they leave you behind. I don't think we would go to that individual, would we? No, but as they grew in grace and in knowledge, he expected them to improve. He, bought, he brought out the best in them. He expected them to do likewise for others. Jesus wants to bring out the best in us, but he expects us to do the same for others. Oftentimes in our life group class, we've said, listen, we're, in a, we're not in a race technically against one another. But we're in a race, in a journey to help one another along. Yes, it's true, one might be ahead of the other. But the fact remains, we encourage one another to get where? To the finish line, to where we all started from. We want to get to that spot. Whether you're first, second, or third, as long as we all get one another to the end victoriously, that is the key. He expected them to do likewise for others. That's the supervision, the supervisor that he was, if you will. Now, let me just conclude. I was, I was, as I was thinking about this, right? Um, when, when, when we were kids, um, superheroes were a big thing to us. A little bit more than they are today. Okay, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider Man. They were all commonplace. I used to like one character called Thor. 
Maybe it's because he was a little bit more human than Superman. I don't know. But uh, several years ago, they came out with the movie Thor. And I said, oh, I hope they didn't do injustice to what my, my youth remembers him about the characters, right? And, and, and I watched it. And there was one scene that really grabbed my attention. And it's the scene when Thor is speaking with his mother because there seems to be chaos misunderstanding, misinterpretation about his brother. He's really not his brother. As a matter of fact, he's really not part of the family. And now he's causing a rebellion against, I forgot, Asgard, I think it's called, right? His mother looks at him and says, there's always a purpose to everything your father does. And I said, what a great spiritual insight. Listen, they didn't make that up. They got to they rob that from the gospel. Listen, Jesus always has a purpose for what he says and what he does. Not what he said and did. He's still doing it today. Okay, what he says and what he does. And here's the key. He wants to let us in on it. He always wants to let us in on what he's saying and what he's doing. Let's not all get caught up like disciples that we cannot perceive. Jesus calls the meeting, if you will. He sets a table and he sends out the invitations. Do we go? Are we busy? Did we forget? I'll go next time. You know, it's not kind of like the, 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 the ledger of people that are supposed to be at meetings and their name is always there and there's no check mark next to meetings, after meetings. And, the, and, just, and then we go through challenges and difficult times and we say, God, you're not working for me. God wants to let us in on what he's saying and doing, especially today. Come on, let's look around. There's confusion, misunderstanding, misinterpretation, etc. How much more? We're just saying it. It's his, it's his church that he's building from the ground up. Guess who's the ground? It's right here. We're the ground up. And he wants to be able to speak and do to us and through us to bring some type of, just like there was a little misunderstanding and misinterpretation between what was going on in Asgard and his mother set him straight. There's always a purpose in what Jesus is saying and Jesus is doing. This morning, it may not feel like but I'll tell you, as we came into church and we began to engage the Spirit of God, whether it be through fellowship. Hey, I haven't, I, it's been a whole week since I've seen you. How are you? And we engaged in, in worship. Or we engaged in listening to what's going on in the church. Or we engaged in our act of giving. Or we engaged in listening to the message. It isn't the message, but it's the Spirit of God that makes it alive and quicken. As we began to engage, all of a sudden... We forget, in a good way, where we were coming from. Let's flip the role. Like the disciples forgot a good thing about what they had just seen with the feeding of the five and the 4,000. Let's forget some of the things that maybe are outside the door. Not that they're going to go away magically or mystically, but let's engage what God is saying. And the next thing you know, God becomes bigger, better, greater, and those other things become a piece of cake for God. He could do it in a heartbeat. But then he lets us in on what or maybe how 
maybe a tidbit of things. In, in the, the life group this past week, we talked about why sometimes God doesn't fill us in on the whole thing all at once. It would be so overwhelming, we might say, next time, I'll find somebody else, God. He lets us in, and then he begins to reveal more and more because we can take it in. And then we can make, if you will, a spiritual difference. And the world needs a spiritual difference. Does it not? If you could think of the time someone ministered to you or witnessed to you when you came to know Christ, how the transformation took place in your life. Imagine that experience in somebody else, what it would be like. You thought it was great, didn't you? You thought like you had hit the jackpot, and we did. Others also need to experience that. It's about what Jesus said, going to all the world. Maybe your world is your neighborhood. Maybe your world is your marketplace. Maybe your world is your workplace. Maybe it's a small little world. Maybe it's a big little, it doesn't matter. God's not looking for the size of your world, but that we make a difference in it. And he wants to fill us in before we open our mouth and you know, insert foot. Stand with me, please. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you this morning. God, if we are lacking in perception, help us this morning. We want to perceive like you spoke to the disciples and you said, do you not yet perceive what I'm saying and what I'm doing? Spiritually, Lord God, let the scales from our eyes and our ears and even from our heart begin to fall off that we would begin to perceive what you are saying and what you are doing that we could offer to a world that is hurting and confused, to a neighbor that doesn't know what's next on their agenda, to someone who has questions but doesn't know where to turn. God, give us the perception to be able to understand from your throne room that we can bring it into somebody else's room. God, help us this morning for ourselves because if we don't have your perception, God, what can we offer? So that we can help others, Lord. God, fill us this morning as, as we gathered here, as you've touched us with your spirit in worship, Lord. As you've touched us, Lord God, because you have a breaking off that you want to do. You have a binding that you want to do. You have a loosing, Lord, that you want to do. It isn't by some magical thing, but all of a sudden it happens inwardly, Lord. Help us this morning to begin to perceive what you're saying and what you're doing in our lives and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want to come forward to prayer, we'll, we'll pray. If you're free to go, you're free to go. Unless, Pastor, you have, amen. Amen. God bless you.